and welcome to Step Back Sisterhood. I'm one of your hosts, Britt, and we have a great show for you today. We're talking all things trailblazers. In the first segment, we will be talking to Tara about how she thinks the season for the trailblazers will be, as well as other questions. In the second segment, we have a great guest. Casey Holdall is the trailblazers team reporter. He writes all the articles on trailblazers.com as the primary contributor. We have a great discussion with him today. So before we get to that, let's kick it off with some questions that we have for Tara. Welcome back to Step Back Sisterhood. So we have a series of questions that we want to ask Tara about the trailblazers. So my first question, Tara, to you is how would they be when it comes to the uh, final standings at the end of this season? So how do I think they're how, how do I think they're going to finish? How far do I think they can go? Sure, you can go that direction. <laughs> well, I'm still in complete and utter shock at their uh, how capable they were this offseason. <laughs> I mean, not that they're not capable, because obviously the front office of the Trailblazers knows what they are doing. What I mean is, is how, like how lined up the moves that the Trailblazers made are with what the common understanding of what the Blazers' um, holes were. So, you know, I I think I'm more optimistic this year than I've been in a really long time. I was not optimistic going into last year um, because of Yusuf Nurkic not being there. As soon as he went down, I just knew, okay, the next season is just all about enduring and getting through. And uh, so, you know after the bubble and seeing that Nurkic was back and, and playing well and, you know, Dame and Nurkic and CJ, I was like, okay, Dame and Nurkic and CJ, they're going to be able to, you know, take us pretty far. I think it's realistic to think that they're going to make it at least a couple of rounds um, in the playoffs. And then when they went out and acquired Robert Covington and then also Derek Jones Jr., who are both known for their defense, you know, one of the keys, I think, to the reason that they were able to make it all the way to the Western Conference final two seasons ago is because uh, Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu, they didn't necessarily have like, you know, it, you know, play like their best basketball in the the playoffs, but their really good performance during the year earned the Blazers a, a really decent seed. And then it did help them get through the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. And they were really, I think probably at their ceiling of what they could do as defenders on the team as it was constructed. And I think the Blazers went out and got a couple of players who, you know, they can play the same, like everybody else can play the same schemes that they've always played and had success with, but with two better defenders. So I'm looking for the Blazers to at least get through a couple of rounds of the playoffs. You know, I depends on all the other teams as well, right? Um, you know, who knows that Phoenix is going to, you know, turn it on. I mean, I don't think they're really going to make it that far. But anyway, I'm very optimistic that the Blazers can make it through at least a couple of rounds and hopefully back to the Western Conference Finals. As far as the new pieces go and the new additions, how do you see the Blazers integrating them on offense and on defense as well? So I think that the with the... On, let's see, which should I start? Should I start with offense or defense? On defense, the Blazers have really in the last couple of years struggled to defend from three. And they used to, before Yusuf Nurkic came, they used to be pretty effective at defending around the rim because they always had to have 
you know, two people around the rim. And then Yusuf Nurkic came and they were able to like put more personnel out on the three point line. And I think they really missed that last year. So I'm hoping that the, uh, the ability of the defenders to talk and communicate and uh, switch and, you know, I think that's going to make their three point. I hope that that's going to make their three point defense better. I think on offense, what I would love to see, the Blazers are traditionally pretty low, if not the bottom of the league in terms of the number of assists and the number of transition points that they get. I don't necessarily know that they're going to get more assists than they usually do, but I'm hoping that with the new players, we're going to see more transition. And also like with the emergence of Gary Trent and how he came on as well, you know, Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who loves transition and Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who seeks the rim and he likes to cut and he likes to move in that way. Traditionally on offense, we have a lot of guys standing on the three point line waiting to shoot their shots and pretty well. Fortunately, <laughs> but I think we're going to see more cutting. Um, and again, like Mo Harkless used to do that quite a bit. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to on the offense and defense. Speaking of transitional players um, and playmakers, did the Blazers look at anyone else other than who they got, you know, other than Derek Jones and uh, Covington? Gosh, you know, I haven't heard the, the usually – what happens in the offseason is the Blazers sign somebody completely unexpected that nobody was looking at. And then we spend a lot of time discussing who we thought that they were talking to that they were not able to get. And I think that they were just able to find and identify the people that filled the holes and wanted to come here. So I don't I don't know how many other conversations they'd had. Who do you think has to be your leading scorer with the Blazers leading scorer in order for the Blazers to reach the Western Conference Finals. I mean, I think it's going to be Damian Lillard. I, I'm sorry. Just, I'm sorry. I asked that question wrong. Asked it wrong. Who has to be the third leading scorer okay. for the Blazers? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I'm so out of it today, guys. The third leading scorer for your team to be successful. So like after Dame and CJ. Today. Yes. Third leading scorer. Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, I think... I would love to see I, – I go back and forth between not caring if Mello starts to wanting Mello to get the Sixth Man of the Year award <laughs> because I love the idea of him just feasting off of other benches. And for so many years, like when our bench goes in, we've just held our breath and just prayed that we didn't lose the lead too much. And sometimes, you know, they did better than others. But I love the idea of Mello coming off of the bench and just like – scoring, 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 feasting, 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 backing everybody down. So I think that would be, you know, that could be a, if, if not, you know, a recipe for success, I think it could at least be really fun if Mello was the third leading scorer. I don't know how realistic that is. You know, Rodney Hood was uh, on his way to having a really great uh, season when, before he got injured. And I think Gary Trent is another one who could put up a lot of points, but yeah. I asked that because the Blazers haven't had a consistent third leading scorer in a while. And I think that's one of the pieces that's missing because when you have a guy that can consistently get you, say if Dame or CJ is off, a guy that can get you, oh, this guy scored 30. I think personally Nurkic could probably be that guy if he's healthy. 
in the bubble, he really looked healthy and then he lost his grandmother and he really played inspired, had that 2020 game. And I loved seeing him do his work down low. Like I like Nurkic. I love Nurkic. Mm -hmm. Zach Collins, he's just, he's a little fragile right now. You know, he's had injury, some injury issues. You know, I'm a huge Mellow fan. I'm trying not to be Carmelo Anthony bias here. I'm really, really trying not to be. But well, don't I you think, think it would be fun to have him come off yeah, the bench and just real, score all over everybody? He's your third best scorer. Realistically, he is your third best scorer um, on a consistent basis because he can get points in bunches. And when he gets hot, he gets hot. He can knock down clutch shots as he did in a bubble. So having Carmelo Anthony as the Blazers' third leading scorer makes so much sense. But I could also see Nurkish taking on that role as well. I'll say something else. I think Robert Covington and Derrick Jones Jr. additions have been great. Defensively, you have to play defense in the NBA. If the Mavs, the Mavs, I think, had the NBA record for points in a season last year, I believe. They were just scoring in bunches, but they couldn't stop anybody. How do the Blazers improve on defense this season? Well, I think by having guys in there that fit into the scheme that they currently use because they have not changed what they've done for a really long time. And, you know, the Blazers, for the most part, try to get make people take mid-range shots. Um, and, you know, because two is less than three, but they always end up being, like, not great at three-point defending. So... You know, and and the way that they do it and the way that they were successful when they had Aminu and Harkless was with through tons of communication. Those guys were communicating all of the time. So by having Covington come in, who has been around for a long time and he knows what he's doing, he's a seasoned vet. I mean, like when when um, Aminu and Harkless came to the team and eventually got better at defense, they were still quite young. And Covington is, you know, Dame's age. So um I think, and then also like Cantor, and I know that's funny to say because he's not known as a defensive specialist, but when he was on the team before, Cantor had a way of knowing what he was supposed to be doing. Like he knew when he was supposed to, you know, he he boxed out for the most part when he was supposed to. He 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 played the details pretty well with the Blazers, and so I think not. I think having him coming in already knowing the scheme and not having to learn it is going to make the Blazers better defensively. I mean, last year with Hassan Whiteside in that center role, it was not a scheme that I think that he was, you know, built for success with. And I think that we're back to a team that is built for success in that type of defense. A few minutes ago, you were speaking about Carmelo Anthony. And I guess personally, I'm not as positive that he is willing to, um, go onto the bench for extended period of times. Like he's never have, has done it. And I think in some aspects he has been more willing. Um, and I, I'm assuming as part of the re-signing, he probably has had that conversation with the team. So I, my question is, do you think it's realistic that he is going to be completely eager to take that bench role now? 
So, I mean, that's where, where I said that I was kind of going back and forth between, like, not caring if he starts and then, like, really wanting him to come off the bench because I really don't care who starts. It doesn't matter who starts. And if it's all up to him that he be there when the first whistle blows, like, you know, whatever, what matters is how many minutes you play and what effect you actually have on the court. And I think that he's – if he's been around so long that he absolutely refuses to take a role where – you know, he's not there when the first whistle blows, then like, okay, then, but you're still only going to play, you know, however many minutes you're going to play. I mean, the Blazers have done not with superstars like Carmelo Anthony, but they have had a couple players in the past where they played, they started and they were not starters, but they played the first six minutes of the first quarter and the first six minutes of the third quarter religiously every game. So like the Blazers have tried some stuff. I, I like to think I'm holding in my heart that everything that Mello has said and that the team has said about Mello is true, that he's reached a point where he realizes that, you know, in order for his team to have success and for him to continue to have fun, it means that it's time for somebody else to get that starting spot or that it's time for somebody else who's younger, has stronger legs, you know, to get that, um, get the majority of those minutes but to his credit, he's also ready to go if they need him. You know, like if if he's not starting, but then they have an injury and they need to move the, you know, the rotation around that he's the first guy that they consider adding as the starter. So I I'm just I'm just going to put it out in the universe that it's going to be fine and that he is ready. You know, I've heard him talk about it. I've heard him talk about how, you know, when uh, in Houston, he he didn't he was not ready for that. He was not in the right mindset for it, and he hadn't figured out what he was supposed to do. And you know, if it's true that during his year off, he had a lot of time for introspection, maybe he came to a place where he was like, okay, if I'm asked to play off the bench, I know now what my job is going to be. And like, I, I, one of the things about having him, I, I was not a Carmelo Anthony fan before he came to Portland. I was like, yeah, he's really good at basketball. Um, but seeing the effect that he had on the younger players, and now the Blazers have a lot more younger players, I'm really excited about that aspect of it as well. Well, continuing with this topic, why was he even questioned anyway, questioned about him returning to Portland and questioned about um, him accepting his role? Because it just seems like last year, I mean, he was accepting of it and just really found a place in Portland and he was happy there. Why are there still questions about him? And also, why is he so maligned? I have yet to understand it. Well, I, I think one of the reasons that we were in Portland worried about him not resigning is just because, you know, historically, it's very rare that, you know, a really well-known player will sign up to come to Portland. Like, to, to sign up to play in Portland – you're playing, paying among the highest taxes in the league. You're really far away from everything, especially like if he has like family in New York or if he has a you know life down in L.A. Portland's pretty far away from all of that. Um, but I think Damian Lillard has really contributed to to changing that a lot, and I think Damian has also helped. Kind of Portland has helped rehab his image with people who were doubting him. And what ways have uh, Dame helped? And that was my follow-up question, and I still have it. But what in what ways has Dane been 
beneficial to what Carmelo was doing and, and also beneficial to the team as a whole. Speak on leadership. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say specifically, like, because I've hung out with him, <laughs> but I don't. Um, but what I can say is that Dame is consistently through his entire time in Portland and you know, from what I can tell from every stop that he's ever made, starting with his AAU team, fiercely loyal and, uh, you know, is the biggest cheerleader for the guys that are on his team, you know, which is why, you know, to me, the idea that Damon CJ, that they, the Blazers would trade CJ away is just un unfathomable to me because CJ has been Dame's guy and Dame is just so loyal. So I think that, um, Portland offered Mello a a place where Damon CJ had been wanting Mello for years. So he knew he was wanted by the players on the team. He knew that he had a specific role and he knew that he had Damien who was like the undisputed locker room leader who was like going to no matter what be the guy that everybody looks to. And so when Dame sets the bar and welcomes somebody in, and he does that with like the rookies and he does that with guys like Carmelo Anthony, he welcomes them all in and helps them understand what their role is and who they're supposed to be for the team. And so I think maybe that helped um, Mello, you know, um, see, you know, do his, you know, do well. And then also helped Mello decide that that's where he wanted to stay. Are you, I know we talked about this a little bit with uh, Gary Trent Jr. signing with Clutch. Do you think the Blazers see him in their long-term plans? Gary Trent Jr.? Yes. I th I think that they do. Um, I would love that. I would love if he would, um, you know, with the, the, the front office that they've had for quite a while, even though they have you know, the owner, when Paul Allen left, you know, his sister took over, but they've had a lot of stability in the terms of, you know, the general manager and even the president. And all along, they've been pretty much loyal to the guys that, you know, that they drafted. And, you know, occasionally they'll trade somebody, but, you know, Damon CJ are still here. Um, they seem to really and you know like investing in in these young players and Gary Trent just has made such a hit with the fan base that I think there would be a lot of people up, upset if um, he was let to walk away. Um, like he's going to be up for an extension and like that's what worries me for Clutch because I I feel like the Blazers will pay him whatever he needs to be paid to keep him there and I think you know that's. Uh, that sometimes takes away the ability to, to pay other guys, but I try not to worry about money because that's not my job. <laughs> um, but I do think that Gary Trent Jr. is a part of their long-term plans, especially after he just became so popular. Okay, one of my questions was due to the injury of Clay and, you know, and Devin Booker is like on the fringe. Could this be the year that CJ finally makes an all-star team? Even though there's no all-star game, I think they're going to honor, you know, all-star. I would love it. I would love CJ to get an all-star bid, but I really don't know if I, I, I don't think that he's as well-known enough. I don't think he's flashy enough. Uh, I don't think that that's kind of his, I mean, I think he would love to do it, but I just don't, don't see him as like, 
going in for promoting that over other things that he likes to promote about himself, like, you know, his journalism and, you know, some of the, the social justice work that he's doing, things like that. I think that's more important to him. Hmm. And you just really have to have a PR machine behind you, if, especially if you're from a little market <laughs> like Portland to make it to the All-Star game. You think it's more realistic for him to get – I mean, I guess technically it would be – potentially all NBA, but do you think that's more realistic for him to get this season, especially with Clay and Booker? <laughs> yeah, and maybe. Friends? I think I think it's more likely that he might get recognized that way than to get voted, you know, in by fans. Cause that I mean, even though it's it's divided between not just fans anymore, um, I think it's more likely that he might be recognized and that'd be awesome for him to make an all NBA team, you know, maybe the third team or something. That would be, that would be awesome. That would also mean the Blazers had a great year. And up next, although inside baseball, we already re- recorded this. So we're doing this backwards. We'll talk to Casey Holt all next. I'm really happy to welcome in to talk about the Trailblazers, Casey Holdall. Casey is the reporter for the Trailblazers. You can find his work on trailblazers.com. Casey, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's uh fantastic. It's actually the first podcast I've been on in a, uh... In a, in a little bit now, so it's uh, it's good to break the uh, my 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 dry run here. Well, we're really glad to have you, and uh, people who are listening to this who are fans of Portland are probably with me and really sad to find out that the Rip City Report, which I've been following for years, is gone. Um, so not going to try to replace that, but if we can get a little bit more Casey on the air for a little bit longer, that's great. I'm glad to be a part of that. <laughs> no, that was actually, that was one of the only things that made me feel a little bit better about it is that there are so many really good podcasts that are being produced right now that, like, while you... You like what you did, and 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 we. I thought it was a pretty good podcast. Like on the other hand, it's like there's there's like five other really solid Trailblazer podcasts you could be listening to. So uh, Le- least fans don't have any uh, any lack of options. Well, it was it was a high bar you all set, but uh, so that you can uh, so that the ladies here can get to know you a little bit. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about like your backstory and how you ended up being the reporter for the Trailblazers? Sure. Uh, well, I grew up uh, for the most part in Oregon. Um, I, I lived for a couple of years in outside of Sacramento uh, after my parents divorced when I was younger. But uh, for the most part, lived in in uh, here in Oregon, uh, mostly in the Willamette Valley, uh, Yamhill County, to be exact, in Newburgh. Uh, so I grew up mostly in Newburgh, went to high school in Newburgh, um, had always been a fan of the team, uh, graduated, went to uh, University of Oregon, uh, spent five years there, got my degree in journalism. Uh, and uh, went to work at Lynn Bent Community College doing uh, media services while also at this time kind of blogs were becoming a thing. And, and at that point, while I was working uh, at Lynn Bent Community College and also working part-time at the Statesman Journal uh, doing sports agate desk stuff, uh, I started writing uh, my own Blazer blog uh, that was inspired by a few other blogs that, that were out there. There actually weren't many at the time uh, on Blogspot. Uh, and then that became uh, a blog on SB Nation, one of, uh, it wasn't one of the first ones, but I think it was like in the second wave of SB Nation sports blogs, uh, Blazer's Edge, which uh, obviously is still going on today, a, a fantastic blog, uh, one of the uh, the standards, I believe, would say in uh, in local sports blogging. Uh, did that for, for a couple of years uh, while working in Lynn Benton Community College, um, ended up getting a job uh, working for OregonLive.com, uh, which as many of you know, is the online uh, portal of the Oregonian. Uh, though back then it was it was much different than it is now in that uh, they were completely separate. And uh, the Oregon Live staff, which I was a part of, was, was a much smaller staff. 
uh, that they wouldn't even let the building of the Oregonian actually, because they, they thought so little of us. Um, but we, uh, we toiled there, Sean Mager, uh, myself, Tim Brown, they all still work there. Uh, ben Sherman, uh, it was there as well. And there was a, a guy, Eric Marantet, uh, who was writing their blazer blog there at the time, uh, who was hired away by Kobe Bryant, uh, to, to work on his website. And then I assumed that role after covering high school sports for a couple of years of doing the OregonLive.com blazer blog. Uh, I did that for about two years uh, and then was approached by the team about uh, joining the, the franchise and and kind of doing what I was doing for Oregon Live uh, in a similar fashion uh, for the team itself. So uh, that was in 2007, I think. So um, so I've been with the team ever since. Uh, I've been in a, in a couple of different roles, uh, but mostly always, uh, not mostly always, always on the content side. And uh, eventually going on to, to kind of uh, just becoming the beat reporter for the team internally, uh, which is a, a role that I've been in, the, I would say, probably the last eight seasons, I think. I mean, I covered the team before, but a lot of it was really kind of managing the website, uh, managing the social networks and so on and so forth. Now more of just a straight up uh, kind of pseudo journalistic endeavor uh, for the team. So mm-hmm. I, I travel with the team, cover the team uh, as close to uh, outside media as I possibly can without losing my job. And uh, yeah, and I've been doing that for uh, for some time now. Well, you've been around the Blazers for a really long time. You've been through a lot of off seasons. And so I'm going to pivot now our conversation to be a little bit more focused on what's going on with the team right now. Um, there's been a lot of praise for this Blazers off season. Uh, and I'm wondering, in your experience, as, as long as you've been around, what's different about what the Blazers accomplished over this off season? Uh, well, yes, I would agree that that the praise has been almost universal, which, you know, as a Blazer fan slash employee, it, it's kind of odd to feel because, you know, while, you, while, you know, we, we make moves and I think generally the, the team is appreciated for what they do. Uh, you know, it, it's not very often that that everyone seems to think the stuff that the Blazers did actually helped. And so to have that happen this year was was interesting. And I think part of that, too, is because we have such a a dedicated knowledgeable fan base that things do really get picked apart. And, you know, the, the, the issues are sometimes laid bare where in other markets, I think sometimes that maybe doesn't happen so much. So uh, that that's a testament to how, how close people pay attention in our market. Uh, what I would say is, is, is different in this off season is that they were able to plug multiple holes at in one off season. Whereas usually I, I feel like we kind of go into the off season, you have a draft pick and, and with Portland the past couple of years, you, you kind of, just assume that whoever that draft pick is probably isn't going to end up playing a ton. So, you know, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of assistance from that player, at least for that season. And then you get to free agency and you know, that Portland is never typically going to be a, a destination necessarily. And that's not to say that they are not able to get guys that are helpful, but just not maybe the the top level guys that, that a lot of people want. And sometimes even kind of the mid-level guys where, you know, when when there are only X amount of guys and there's only X amount of teams that all basically have the same amount of money to offer, you know, usually Portland is kind of behind the eight ball in terms of, of winning that battle. So and then in trades, you know, they're a team that, that has been known for making draft day trades, but typically more involved in the actual draft itself, not so much for veteran players. So I, I would say the biggest difference this time is it's kind of similar or I would say maybe the first time since the Aaron Aflalo trade where they actually took assets that were future assets and pushed those in to get talent that could help right away. And a guy in Robert Covington is the guy I'm referring to and someone who, you know, fills a lot of holes for the Blazers that they've had for some time. I mean, 
even when you had Alfred Camino and Mo Harkless, you know, that, that three, four position was always still like, man, is this good enough? Like, do these guys really fit well enough with, with what we have? And, and are they the kind of players defensively that, that really you need when you have a backcourt like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And so to, to plug that hole that I feel like had been there for three or four seasons, perhaps even longer to get a guy in Derek Jones Jr. as a free agent, where while I, I think, you know, some people might look at that and say, well, you know, the whole mid-level, that, that's pretty high. But it, it's a guy who who plugs an instant hole for you, which is you need it to be more athletic on the wing, particularly defensively. And you needed someone that could that could get out and transition a little bit. And that's something that the Blazers have been looking for, again, for the last three or four seasons. Hasn't ever really materialized. They get that guy in Derek Jones Jr. Then you get Ennis Cantor in trade, a guy who you had already had before and who you brought in basically for the role that, you know, fingers crossed, assuming no one gets injured, you wanted to see him in in the first place, which was a backup to Yusuf Nurkic in a kind of tandem to see if if that that size and that ability to play in a kind of a different fashion could, could result in something. So the fact that they were able to do multiple things rather than just maybe focusing on one area it, for me is kind of the biggest difference in this off season. And it's a, it's a welcome change. I was really excited for the Blazers Blazers last year. I had them in my top four in the West and then, you know, Nurkic wasn't completely healthy. Zach Collins gets hurt. Rodney Hood tears his Achilles. And I was like, man, I'm excited for this Blazers team. Like I really want to see this Blazers team fully healthy. So my question to you is, with the fully healthy Blazers team, where do you see them finishing in the loaded West this year? I mean, that's a good question. I, I think I think top four is, if I was Terry Stotts, that would kind of be maybe what I would set as like my, this is where we should be at. Um, on one hand, you're coming off season, as you just mentioned, that that was not what anyone wanted. And when it's injuries, I think that sometimes there's an inclination to say like, well, it was injuries, so, you know, so what happened isn't necessarily who we are as a team. And I think that that's, that's true to a certain extent, but also, I mean, you know, you, you, you play through it. So the other part issue is that, is that they went into last season really feeling like they were a Western conference finals team. And, and obviously that did not happen. And so I, I think for them, they maybe look at their roster now and they say, Hey, if, if we're back and healthy and they feel great about Nurkic, I mean, seeing the way he played in the bubble, I think really kind of alleviates any concern that they might've had about, well, what kind of player is he going to be when he comes back from this Rodney hood? That's, that's a different conversation. Obviously Achilles injury is some of the most significant in the NBA. And while all indications are that he's healthy and he's, he's obviously had a longer time to, to rehabilitate than he would have had uh, were it not for, for COVID, you know, you feel better about that situation, but you still haven't seen him out in the court in, go over a year now, I think perhaps, or, or close to a year by the time the, the NBA actually gets going. So, you know, those are the, the things you look at and say like, well, we, we felt like we were a Western conference finals team last year. If, if those two guys hadn't gotten injured or if Nurkic would have been able to come back earlier, maybe we get there. Uh, hard, tough to say, but I, I think between, I mean, I think obviously you look at the Lakers and, and you kind of put them as the number one. Uh, I think Clippers, you know, I, I don't, they got, a little better, but not to the point where you look at him and say like, man, that's a much better team than last year. But I do think that you, you slot them in before the Blazers. And then, you know, I, I think after that, it's pretty wide open. I mean, I, I thought Denver got considerably worse. Um, I, I think Houston is, you know, falling off a bit and we'll see how that whole situation shakes out and who's actually on the team, you know, mid season next year. Uh, and, you know, 
you look at the jazz and, and the people have been saying, well, it's going to be the jazz's year for like five years now. So, you know, I, and if you're, you're Portland, you, you look at golden state and if it were not for, you know, the clay Thompson injury, I think you, you know, you're really concerned about the warriors. And I think you still are concerned about the warriors, but they, they do lose that, that top end kind of ceiling that I think you would have assumed that they would have had if he would have been healthy and able to play this season. So I, I feel like four is, is, is a good start. And I, I think that, I think Portland, you know, can really consider or should maybe at least assume or, or shoot for two or three, because I, I do think that they're probably better than the fourth best team in the West. If everything shakes out exactly the way that the Blazer fans hope it do. But again, that that's taken a, that's kind of a lot of provisos. That's assuming that Rodney hood is completely healthy and ready to go. That assumes that, Robert Covington slides seamlessly into the starting lineup. That assumes that Derek Jones Jr. really kind of takes another step than what we saw this season, particularly late in the season with, with the Heat. That assumes that the rotation with Cantor and Nurkic really works out well, and and you don't maybe have some of the issues of whatever Ennis had in Boston this year falling out of that rotation. So, you know, if everything goes exactly right, I think you're looking at top two, top three team, but for a team that's coming off a lot of injuries and heck, I haven't even mentioned Zach Collins and, and who knows when he's going to be healthy and ready to play and what he's going to look like at that point. So with, with all of those kind of question marks, even th- with a really good off season, you know, I, and saying top four is kind of their, their bottom. That, that sounds stupid because obviously, you know, finishing top four in the West is, is always a triumph. But I, I think if, if it really works out well, you're looking at a top two, three team, if even one thing kind of goes sideways, I think you're looking probably about more seven, six, five. Yeah. Um, Casey, you were just mentioning your, the two, well, two of the new additions to the team and Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. Um, and they're both known for being, you know, relatively good defensive um, players. Uh, whereas the, Portland Trailblazers, if I'm going to be, you know, sort of nice about it, are not have not been considered necessarily the greatest defensive team. Um, yeah, no, they're there. a bad last team. You <laughs> yes, for that's sure. Defense to anyone, that's facts. Yeah. So, um, given you know the addition of those two players, what do you think that the defense will actually look like? I mean, I, I think they they've already talked just a little bit about being more aggressive. I mean, it, it, when you watch the Blazers a lot, you you know that they're they are not a a team on defense that is going to create steals and is going for turnovers. They're more of a team defense, you know, force you or at least really try to goad you into taking mid-range jumpers and then hitting the glass kind of kind of defensive team. Um, and I think you're still going to see that because you know even with the addition of of, of Derek Jones Jr. and, and Rocco, like you're you're still looking at a at a team that well actually and. The other part, too, is that I guess should be mentioned is that Yusuf Nurkic before the injury was a phenomenal defensive center. And, you know, if he's able to get back to that, I I think that a lot of us, even those of us who cover the team, have probably short sold Nurkic as a defensive presence in in the middle. So I I guess if you I mean, if they end up going with with that lineup and my assumption is that Rodney Hood is going to start. But if they do start Derek Jones Jr. at the three, you, you got Covington at the four and Nurkic at the five. I mean, that that probably opens up some opportunities to be a more aggressive defensive team than, than Portland has been. Uh, if they decide just to kind of stick with their base, uh, I, I still think you're looking at a team that, again, it's not going to enforce a lot of turnovers, but it's going to try to make you use a lot of clock. They're going to try to get you to shoot mid-range shots. 
And, you know, they, they have had issues in the past couple of seasons defending the three-point shot. And it's always tough to figure out what you would necessarily attribute that to. And, you know, truth be told, when you have two guards who, who neither are known for their defense, maybe not as bad as they get tabbed, but definitely are not guys who, who you look at as primary defenders. You know, I, I think you probably have to, to account for that in terms of their three-point defense. But, I mean, I, I think basically you have a team that wants to funnel teams into the post uh, if Nurkic is, is fully healthy and let him kind of use his body to defend the rim and also to, to keep other larger players out of the post as well. So, you know, the Blazers never a necessarily dynamic defensive team, but a, a team that if, again, if those, if those things work out and they're able to switch more as well. And that's, that's been another complaint that I think people have had about the Blazers in the past couple of seasons, particularly Terry and particularly later on in seasons is that they're just not a team that, that is really accustomed to switching and, you know, that, that obviously creates issues in an NBA where everyone can shoot and everyone is kind of playing the same position. So it, it really, more than anything, it just gives them the ability to be a, a more, uh, a team where when you have a defensive breakdown, it's not going to result in a wide open path to the basket, which is what we saw a lot last year. Uh, the, the goal is to at least be a team that puts up more of a fight and be an average defense. And that's really what Portland is, is, shooting for at this point i don't think anyone is going to expect them to become a, a you know a league top five defense but if they're able to just be average with their offense which is a top five offense they feel like that that's good enough for them to do some things and i think that's what they're going to probably shoot for okay considering last year's roster with anthony simons and gary trent jr and their emergence and the additions to the roster for this season who will be left out of the rotation? Boy, that's a that's a good question. I mean, on one hand, you assume it's not Ant because I mean they they didn't go out and get a backup point guard. I mean, yeah, Neil O'Shea saying straight up and, and really kind of to those of us who were like, well, maybe they're going to get a backup point guard. That Anthony Simons is the the backup point guard. So even though you know you you got Damian playing thirty six to thirty eight minutes and CJ doing the same you know, that's still quite a few minutes to soak up with the second unit. So, I mean, they, they all but said it, it's it's Ant. So you assume that he's probably not falling out of the rotation, even though that is what happened, you know, obviously in, in the playoffs and in the bubble last year. Um, and Gary, too, like I, I, I cannot see a situation where Gary doesn't come into camp as basically the first non-point guard off the bench. I mean, he, he was so dynamic in the bubble – and and he's a guy that they're they're we're already excited about anyways. I mean, I I think that it, it it starts to get a bit of a crunch between Hood and Gary Trent and you assume Derek Jones Jr. because I mean that's that's kind of a lot of minutes and then playing behind CJ basically. So, uh, boy, I mean I hmm. Does it have to be one of those guys? <laughs> I, I guess would be my question because, uh, but though I mean that that's not going to solve my my problem here either because I'm having a, a difficult time figuring out who would be that guy. So, you know, obviously maybe I mean I, I guess the hope is maybe you play you can you can give Damian and TJ fewer minutes and still survive better than you did before. That has not typically worked out so well for Portland in the past. So I, I'm a bit loath to say that, that those guys are going to come in and eat away at those minutes because Terry likes to play guys high minutes. They like to play the minutes and, you know, they, they stagger those guys a lot anyways. So boy, uh, hmm. 
<laughs> I, <laughs> I guess I would say I, I don't see either one falling out of the rotation, but assuming that you now have guys not to to necessarily the extent of a point forward, but you have guys in Covington and in Derek Jones Jr. who are maybe a bit more comfortable bringing the ball up. Maybe that alleviates the need as much for a secondary ball handler. I'm not really believing the words that are coming out of my mouth, but I'm just trying to make a case for it. So I guess I'd say Ant, but I, I there's he's going to play. So I, I – I, <laughs> Is it fair to say – Rodney might, and I'm thinking this because if he's coming off an Achilles injury, what would be a reasonable, what are reasonable expectations for him? Yeah, I, I, you, you basically got to where I think I was trying to get to, which Rodney would be the guy I think you would pick, at least in terms of one, he, he's got the most minutes to eat into already, at least if you assume that he's going to come back anywhere close to where he was when he was starting last year. But yeah, the idea that a guy off an Achilles is going to step right in and, you know, play 25 minutes a night, maybe not. So I, I think that on one hand, the injury is the wild card there. But the other one for me, I, and I feel like, you know, with Rodney, when he came from Cleveland, you know, he he had had such a, you know, his career was at such a low point at that point, And he was really able to rehab it in Portland because it was like, hey, Rodney, we're going to give you starter minutes. Like, we're going to let you come out here and play your game. And we're not going to pull you in and out of the starting lineup. We're not going to ask you to come off the bench. Like we're going to come in and, and put that belief in you. And it, it resulted in him being a, a better version of himself, a player that I don't think we had seen since, you know, his, his, some of his better times in Utah. So part of me feels like they, they really, they, they don't want to do anything to, to threaten Rodney's confidence because they know that the best version of Rodney is a guy who, who is playing more minutes and is in that starting lineup. But you're you're right. With that injury, it, it's hard to just pencil him in for for consistent minutes when there's also going to be a competition for those minutes that there necessarily wasn't when you know he was when he was healthy last year and when he was playing the season before that. So I, I think Rodney, you're, you're right. I think Rodney is probably the the best guess. But to, again, just knowing how well they know how to get the best out of Rodney, which is a really convoluted way to say that part of me feels like the, they'll make a concerted effort to make sure that he does get minutes. But again, at a certain point, there's a crunch there and someone's, someone's got to sit the bench. And, and historically that's been Gary. It's just hard to imagine that after the run that he was on in Orlando, that they're going to, to chance stunting that by, you know, telling him to go back to the bench and, and to stay there. I'm not going to let that happen. Yeah, I, again, that 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 seems that seems actually less likely to me than them just being like, you know what, Rodney, you got to come off the bench, man. Like it, it just doesn't. It, it's hard to fathom with how good he played that they're gonna go back on that. Though the one thing I'll say is he's in a contract year, so you know, never never hurts to uh to make sure that everyone gets minutes when uh one guy's in a contract year. I think to be the thing that's kind of remarkable about this season is that the Blazers have so many players who are proven what they can uh, the the minimum of what they can do cuz usually there's a couple guys on the roster who people just aren't really very sure about like maybe they were you know buried deep in the rotation or were like not getting opportunities to play or were just new to the league you know they have, like you were saying had more younger players and this year like the Blazers roster is full 
of people that like have a proven record, except for maybe Naz Little hasn't had as much, you know, uh, last year's rookie. But um, I think it's really interesting this year that like that so many players on the team we have we know like not just like you know hey we heard Mario Zonia blocked LeBron that time, but it's like <laughs> no we had. And it's Cantor for a half a season and all the way through a deep run into the playoffs. So we know exactly what he's capable of. And I think like you're saying about Rodney, yeah, he's probably the one that's most like um, unsure of where he's going to be. Because I, I know I forget completely the fact that Rodney is coming off of an Achilles and I just like slight, slot him right into that uh, starting position. But really, we're not quite sure, you know, how long it's going to take. Um, but we were talking about bench players um, and I'm. We haven't even, uh, you know, we haven't even talked about Carmelo Anthony yet. I was gonna say I haven't mentioned the name Carmelo yet. Right. I would love to know your thoughts on, uh, you know, the the word is the the buzz is that uh, Carmelo may take on more of a bench role this season. Um, just I want to leave a, a wide open question. Like, what are your thoughts on Carmelo Anthony coming off the bench? Yeah, I I hope it works out because obviously I. You know, if you're Carmelo, you're obviously you're Carmelo Anthony. You know, like you you're you're all timer. Like you you've been Carmelo Anthony for the past 17 years in the NBA. That's always meant something to people, and, and that was kind of one of the fun things about having Carmelo on the team last year was you 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 really get a sense of what Carmelo means to to the players and to the league that I didn't really understand. You know, as someone who had just watched him as a player, uh, which was which was a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, at a certain point in time, if you do want to keep playing, you're going to have to eventually go to the bench. And Carmelo is an intelligent man, you know, and, and he, he's thoughtful, too. And I just I refuse to believe that that. And I, I mean, you know, I, I've gotten to know Carmelo a little bit, but I don't know the man. But I, it's just very hard for me to believe that the person I observed last season would be so against trying to transition to a bench role. Like, I mean, I got it when he was out of the league because it was like, you know, I need to come back and, and have a set role and, and, and get an opportunity to play. Like it, it, I understood it then part of me feels like, you know, now that you were able to do that and get back in the league and prove that, you know, Carmelo Anthony is still a player that can, that can give you something. Now I think maybe I accept is not a right word because I, I think when you're a great player, it's always hard to accept when you're not as good as you used to be. But I, I think there's at least having been with the team now and knowing the the characters and having bond and kinship with these guys, I, I think it's it's a bit easier to come in and be like, okay, I, I need to sacrifice something because I'm a part of this thing now. Whereas before I was just kind of coming into it cold. So, you know, my hope is that Carmelo does accept that role. I believe he will, because Carmelo always also said too that that whole situation was a bit overblown. And, you know, considering the way that worked out, I, I think you have to kind of you have to take him in his word for that because he came in and did exactly what he said he would do and was never an issue. And, you know, things can go sideways on NBA teams. Everyone, you know, everyone's got a different story about what happened to who. So, I mean, you, you got to kind of take him in his word that that wasn't as big of an issue for him as it got made to be, but he hasn't done it yet either. So, <laughs> you know, so in terms of, you know, coming off of the conversation, we we're just having about minutes. It's like, who doesn't play and you're you're right Tara like you look at the roster now and you know you you don't know a ton about Harry Giles so you uh, so you don't like go ahead and pencil him in minutes but other than, than like CJ Ellaby like there's 
there's not a single guy on the roster where you're like, yeah, he's not going to play. I mean, like everyone's got a, a, a chance to, and you know, in in regards to Carmelo, it really is a question of like how many, because yeah, I, I definitely think that Carmelo is willing to accept a lesser role. I don't know if Carmelo is willing to accept, you know, spot minutes off the bench <laughs> for an entire season. So at, at that point, it really, it, it gets to a, to a calculus that it, it is tough to kind of figure. So um I mean, I'm looking forward to to seeing what this version of Carmelo looks like and plays like and and carries himself. But, you know, I, I'm really glad they re-signed Carmelo. It became one of the things for me where it was like, it, it's it's kind of a message to your team about non-court issues that you're making if you don't re-sign Carmelo, particularly for a, for a vet minimum. Like if Carmelo was going somewhere else and playing for a minimum – I think he got a hard time walking in the Portland's locker room and saying like, yeah, no, we, that, that wasn't worth it for us. The, that, that vet minimum, we, we needed to place that somewhere else. That roster spot needed to go to someone else. Uh, I think it, it's an acceptance for the team that I think they already knew anyways, but that, that Carmelo is, is an important piece more so than, than maybe necessarily what you're going to get from him on the court on a night to night basis. But Truth be told, we also saw in the bubble that Carmelo is a guy in, you know, high pressure situations can come out and perform at this point in his career where, you know, you, you got some guys who are probably more talented than Carmelo who might not be up to that task. So, you know, I, I think with Carmelo, some of it is situational, but um, I, I'm really glad they did. It. I think it was a smart move. And, you know, I, I think that we'll, we'll see what this what this next uh, next step in Carmelo's career looks like. Six and it'll be an interesting storyline in Portland, which it was all last year too. And as someone who covers the team and particularly last year where we had a lot of stuff that wasn't all that interesting to talk about, like having Carmelo and having that to, to kind of lean on as, you know, as a working journalist uh, was, was very helpful. So I, I will always be indebted to Carmelo for that. I'm going to ask you a tough question, please. And I haven't got to ask a Blazer fan this, and I really want to know, do you think you can win a championship with CJ and Dame as your backcourt? I do because, because of Dame. Uh, that, that question to me isn't really, it doesn't, I don't, I don't consider CJ in it because for me, it's Damian in my heart. I believe that Damian Lillard is a good enough player to be the best player on an NBA championship team. Um, and obviously a team is, is not one man. Um, but for me, that that is the question. And the CJ piece, for me, almost doesn't really even kind of factor into that. And I'm not saying that, like, well, Damien could do it with any any bum next to him at shooting guard. It's just, for me, when it, when you talk about, like, what is what does it take to win a championship? I, I think you have to have one guy who has that something different, both on the court and from a – from a leadership perspective, it doesn't have to be leadership with Damien. It happens to be leadership, but just that, that different element of success that I, I think you see in, in great players. And, you know, I, I, so a guy like LeBron, I'm not complaining, comparing Damien to LeBron, but like, you don't look at LeBron and say, can LeBron and Dwayne Wade win a championship? You know, even though Dwayne Wade is a phenomenal player, you look at LeBron and say, can LeBron win a championship? I think the same thing with a guy like Kawhi Leonard. You don't look at Kawhi and say, 
can a team with Kawhi Leonard and and whoever else you want to put in the in the Raptors can that team win a championship? It's like no, can Kawhi Leonard win a championship? And for me, that's the kind of player Damian is. He is at that level. It's same with a guy like Steph Curry. Steph Curry, I mean, you, you look at their team and you and you're interested to see how they play this year. But it's not like I don't look at the Warriors and say like, can Steph Curry and Clay Thompson win a championship? It's can Steph Curry win a championship? So I, I from that perspective, yes. Now I, I think the broader question: Can two players who have very similar styles of play and dynamic can can those kind of players win a championship together i i think if you're talking about a player if if you're talking about a guy if damian was at the level of cj which is like a very good borderline all-star player who's definitely a much better offensive player than he is defensively could two of those guys win a championship no I, i don't think so but I, I, I think that CJ and Damian, while their skills are similar, I, I think that they're the way that the NBA is played now, I just don't think it's as big of an issue as it would have been, you know, 10, 15 years ago, where you really need to have one of your guards be, you know, six five, six eight bulk and can go and defend the other guy. I think that in the NBA now with positions being more fungible, I think that you can get away with having defenders at different positions that could make up for the deficiencies you might have at the guard position, which I think is typically what people are kind of talking about when they talk about Damien CJ is really like, can two offensive minded guards win a championship together? So, you know, I, I think they could. Um, I, I think that the Blazers, I, I always look at the Blazers. Like I view the Dirk Nowitzki Mavericks team that won the championship in that, the Blazers to win a championship have to have everything go just right for them. I mean, they have to have like a perfect season in that kind of situation. I believe they could do it. I believe that Damian and CJ could be a, the back starting backcourt for a team to win a championship. They're not the kind of team that's going to win. A, that's going to like be a season after season after season championship contender, in my opinion, because again, I think things have to break just right for a team like Portland to have that level of success. Um, I think we kind of got close to seeing it two years ago. If Nurkic doesn't get injured, I don't wouldn't necessarily pick them to to go to the championship, but I, I, I think you feel a lot stronger about your chances there. Um, and, and that experience and seeing that team overcome a potentially maybe more talented team or a team that was going to be put together better, quote-unquote, in the Denver Nuggets than the Blazers were, to see them be able to win that series, that was kind of the clincher for me that like, hey – that's not proof that they could do it, but it's proof that there's enough there that if things went just right, it's possible. So that's my long-winded way of saying, way of saying yes. I, it's obviously, you know, any team winning a championship is super hard, and and it's hard to say, like, well, this is the right combination other than being like, get LeBron on your team, you know? Like, that's the right combination to win a championship. Everything else is, is a bit debatable. So um, it, it's always going to be a long shot, and... Do I think that the Damien and CJ together make it too much of a long shot? No, I don't. I think they could do it. So we've talked about a lot of storylines that are, you know, sort of swirling around the trailblazers this season, but what storyline that we've talked about or one that you, that we haven't talked about, are you interested in watching for this year? Well, I, I think, you know, how the, the additions, particularly 
Covington and Jones Jr., how, how they acclimate and how they, if they are able to help Portland become a average to good defense. I, I think that's kind of the, the main one for me. Um, Damien's kind of, if he's able to, to get to the level that he kind of talks about in private, um, you know, he's, he still feels like he has got more that he can do as a player. And so as someone who's who's watched his entire career closely, that's always interesting for me. So I, I, I would like to see if, if kind of the, the Damien that we saw last season and particularly for like those spurts and then even in the bubble, like if I would never expect to see that kind of play for 72 games a season, but something in between where he was at the beginning of last year and you know, hit that phenomenal run he went on in January and in the bubble, if he's able to hit somewhere in the middle of that, that's, that's a much better player. And that's something I'm, I'm interested in seeing as well. Uh, and I'm interested in, in seeing what kind of player Yusuf Nurkic is now and seeing him in the bubble. Obviously it's like you, you breathe a sigh of release because it's obvious that he can still play. Um, but if he is really at the level of the player that he was in that stretch in the bubble, which was like a, again, a, a guy who you start to talk about in the discussion of best centers in the NBA. So, you know, that, that's another thing that I'm, I'm interested in seeing and seeing that if Damien and CJ, or excuse me, if Damien and Nurk can get back to, to that chemistry that they had, particularly in the pick and roll uh, that was so valuable, you know, before, you know, Nurkic ended up getting hurt. So those are kind of the things I'm, I'm interested in seeing the most, but there, uh, this, there, there's been blazer seasons where, like you enter into it and you're like, man, I don't, I don't see six months worth of stories in this team. And I really hope something happens because like, it's basically the same roster, you know, it's basically the same guys playing. You got some new guys, but they don't play minutes anyways. Uh, So what are we going to talk about if this thing kind of becomes a slog? And, you know, this year that there, there's so many interesting storylines. I think, you know, Gary is another guy too, where like, I'm, I'm really excited and interested to see, how Gary plays this season and and the player that he becomes. And obviously is he able to take that step and, and really become what this team needs at point guard? Uh, Are are they able to play a different style of play with a second unit, which is something that they haven't had a whole lot of success doing uh, recently because they just haven't had the depth to really have, you know, 11, 12 quality rotation players on the team, which is, I believe they have now. So there's a lot of stuff going on with this team for people who really take it, who really follow it closely um, so there's going to be a lot to pay attention to. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting this thing going. Hopefully it can be done safely. Um, and, uh, for those who, who maybe don't pay a ton of attention to the Blazers, I would, I would maybe give them a little more of a look this year because I, I think there's a lot of interesting things on this roster going on and, uh, they're probably worth checking out and Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> the bubble gave a small sampling of how reporters in the NBA would need to work with teams in a remote basis how would your job as a team reporter how, how has your job as a team reporter changed in the last year because of the pandemic yeah no it's it's obviously a lot different uh covering a team you know over zoom uh than it is covering in person i i'm hopeful that that there'll be some opportunities to actually you know if not I, i'm not expecting we're going to be in close proximity to the players really ever this year but I'm hopeful at least one we can watch games live because you, you do miss a lot uh, watching television at home when you're, when you're trying to cover a game. Uh, the, the 
the depth of what you see on television it, and is it's just not the same as as when you're actually in the arena. Obviously, the the bigger issue though is, is access to players and coaches, um, and not having an opportunity to to talk to a guy one on one. One just for stories in general, so you, so kind of whatever you're working on doesn't get blown, you know, as as it's being broadcast out live that night. Uh, but also to to kind of find and mind storylines. So if you're not able to to kind of have that interaction, that regular interaction in person, it's hard to sometimes to to find some of those stories that that are maybe a more interesting, a little off court uh, that that I personally feel like I'm I'm a little better at doing than maybe some of the other more super detailed basketball stuff. So um, so that's part of it. And and I, what I kind of my stock answer to that too is that covering games, you know, over Zoom, it everyone basically has to write the same story. Like you only have X amount of time with the player. You only get two, maybe three players, max and a coach. So if a guy says one interesting thing, and a lot of times that's all that happens is one or two interesting things. Like that's what everyone basically has to, has to glom to because we don't really have any other choices because you don't have anything else to, to work through unless you're, you're going to go just completely full analysis, which is great. Uh, but you know, when, when you do have, you know, some access and when you're, when you're telling a story over the course of an entire season, like it, 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 a lot of times it's about personalities and, and interpersonal dynamics of, of a team. And those are the kind of things where it, it's hard to do if you're only going to get, you know, the guy that scored the most points that night and then one other player. So it, it takes longer to, to flesh out some of those stories if you're even able to do it. And you just have to be a lot more you have to be a lot more disciplined as well. Like the, sometimes I'll go into a locker room after a game and it's like, well, I don't really have anything specific, but maybe something will present itself to me. And a lot of times it does. You, you can't go into a zoom interview uh, after a game and be like, yeah, maybe something will just pop up. It's like, you, you got one or two questions, you got to make them count. And then you just got to work with what you get. And uh, hopefully it's something that, that the fans are interested in, but it's, it's a little more difficult. That's for sure. Casey, you called a couple radio games last year's, didn't you? Is that uh, two years ago? Yeah, it's two years ago. Are, do, you, are, do you think you're going to get an opportunity to do that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> my, uh, my days in uh, in broadcast Your radio booth is over, huh? Done. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was something to let me do. I thought it was great. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually thought I did a pretty decent job, and I actually got a lot more positive feedback than I was expecting. But uh, now they, Michael Holt is doing a great job with it, so uh, they're they're going to roll with that. It just seems like, you know, that we're going to see a lot of unexpected things this season. And, you know, well, maybe we could slide Casey in for a game or two. It'd be yeah, great well, to hear I, you again. I, I'll <laughs> say this, though. Um, you know, nothing's nothing's set in stone. Nothing is figured out just yet. But uh, I, I think there's a better chance of the web guy being on the road with the team this year than the radio or TV guys and gals. So uh, mm. so at least in this instance, uh while the pay is not nearly as good, uh, the access might be a little bit better. So that's a that's a decent trade-off. Well, Casey, it's been great talking to you. And uh, I know yesterday the uh, the uh, NBA just released their um, guidelines for COVID. So I imagine you got to go and study up on that too, figure out how things are going to go. I did download the app today. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm supposed to do my regular, uh, how are you feeling? You got a runny nose, so on and so yeah. forth thing. So it's, uh, that part has definitely begun. Well, we'll we'll let you go so you can start studying that as well. Uh, before we go, do you want to uh, tell folks where they can find your work if they want to read more? 
Uh, sure. Yeah. I, um, you can find my work at, uh, trailblazers.com, uh, slash forward center. I'm on Twitter at C hold. I'm on Instagram at KZ hold all. Well, it's going to be a, a really fun, uh, battle in the Western conference and we're all going to be watching each other's teams and learning about each other's teams. So thank you so much for coming on Casey and letting us know uh, more about the trailblazers. We really appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate thank, it. Yep. Thank, thank you so you, much. Casey. And I, I, I know I'm pretty long winded, so I apologize for that. But uh, thanks for having me. I, I, it's, it's really was nice. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. Thanks again to Casey for joining us today. You can find Casey on Twitter at C hold. And thank you again for listening. We would love for you to follow us. You can follow the show at step back sisters. Tara is at T C B Biggs. Janelle is at Janelle 12. Amber is at simply me underscore AV. And I'm at Brit Robotista. If you love listening to the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast provider, as well as review the show and give us some stars. Thank you for listening to Step Back Sisterhood. We'll talk to you next time. You can find my work at uh, trailblazers.com uh, slash forward center. I'm on Twitter at C hold. I'm on Instagram at KZ hold all. Uh, but really uh, I'm more interested. Where are you guys? Uh, where do I find your guys' stuff at? That, that's more of what I'm more interested in. If it find my stuff, if you want to, I don't care, but you, but you should support, support people who are, who are doing more of a, of a broad scope. So where are you guys, where, where do I see your guys' stuff at? Well, we're on uh, the the podcast is Step Back Sisterhood and on Twitter at Step Back Sisters. Um, And then, you know, you can find all of us on our own social. I'm at TCB Biggs. Everybody else. Actually, this is a great time for us to wrap it up anyway. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I I should be stepping Nice toss, Casey. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can find me at simply me underscore AV on Twitter. Simply me underscore AV. Okay. Yep. I'm writing this down too, actually. So oh. <laughs> old old school style. Okay, and, and you could find me at Janelle 12. That is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E 12. I got you, Janelle 12. All right. Um, and unfortunately, mine is probably the hardest one. So <laughs> mine is at Brit Robotista. That's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. S-T-A. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I kept my Twitter name small back because like it used to be when it counted in your characters, like I was, so my idea was like, well, if I keep it small, then I'll have more characters to work with. But like one, they don't count it anyways. And two, it's like, I never have anything good to say anyways. So, <laughs> was point. so you might as well have more interesting Twitter handles because there's no point in being short and stupid like mine is anyways. Uh, I mean, I do have a, like a private um, Twitter that is relatively short, but yeah. I don't, <laughs> that's, for, that's, that's not that's the one that's private. Super <laughs> well, it's going to be a, a really fun uh, battle in the Western conference. And we're all going to be watching each other's teams and learning about each other's teams. So thank you so much for coming on Casey and letting us know uh, more about the trailblazers. We really appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate thank, it. Yep. Thank, thank you so you, much. Casey. And I, I, I know I'm pretty long winded, so I apologize for that. But uh, thanks for having me. I, I, it's, it's really was nice. Thank you. So thank thanks, you. Casey. Thank you, Casey. All right, Bye. guys. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.